You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Year of Fulfillment, Part 3. Enjoy. God is so good. Don't let anything move you off the goodness of God. Well, there are other things that you have to think about. You know, life's tough and all the struggles. Nothing's going to get you through struggles. Nothing's going to cause you to be victorious in your challenges like the goodness of God. What else is there? I ask you, with the grandness of the maker of the universe, what else is there to think about but his goodness? There, he doesn't have any badness, right? So if you're thinking about God, you're thinking about his goodness, right? Unless you've, you've come to some wrong conclusions about him. But I want to tell you, he's absolutely good all the time. So we're worshiping the Lord. We like to worship him in fellowship and with music and with the word. Let's get into the word this morning. Father, thank you. We're worshiping you now with your word. God, we treasure your promises. If you sent your word and you made us whole. You sent your word and you delivered us from destruction. And Lord, we embrace every promise. We embrace this salvation of Jesus Christ, the abundance of your grace and the gift of your righteousness. We thank you for operating in our lives, for moving and working all things out for our good and accomplishing the things that concern us. And we worship you this morning and we give you full right away, Holy Spirit, to transform, to do all that you want to do in our lives. We say that without reservation and without fear because you're perfect in love. You're perfect in grace. You're good and there's nothing bad about you and no darkness or evil dwells with you. So we submit ourselves wholly to you and thank you for healing, making whole, delivering, setting free. Thank you for your salvation manifest in every life and home and relationship and family represented here and in the hearing of this message online. Thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, we're still practicing getting ready for live streaming, so that's why I'm standing here. We threw a log on the fire for you. Warm you up. Hallelujah. God is good. 2017, this is our third worship service, public worship service in 2017. And we've talked about 2017 being the year of fulfillment. I'm so excited about things that people have been believing for and hoping for, for some for years, being fulfilled this year, being fulfilled now, in this time that this is the due season for the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes for the things in our hearts. And we thank him for doing that. And how does this fulfillment come about? It's through simple, childlike, easy faith. You remember that Lionel Richie tune, Easy Like a Sunday Morning? Someone sing it for me. How'd it go? That's it. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of faith right there. Yeah, it's childlike faith because God's already done it. Right? It's simple faith in the finished work of Christ. All that Jesus did for us in his death, burial, uh, resurrection, and ascension, right? Everything that he did for us, we're putting our simple faith in the already done, finished work of Christ. So in 2017, we go out with joy and we're led forth with peace. And you know, I was feeling a little discouraged earlier this week, and I got alone with, with, with my father. I just began to worship him and praise him. And boy, the Holy Spirit just lit me up. Yes, yes. And a joy rose up inside of me, and, and it was just, it was wonderful. And I had to go out and run some errands, so I went out, I had to go to Lowe's, and uh, I, I, was, I got my stuff at Lowe's, and I'm walking to the counter, and I saw this lady just looking to see if anyone was gonna come in her line. And she smiled, and I said, I'm coming to your aisle. You know, I said, I couldn't pass up that smile. And she went, wow, and we had a great time. But it was the joy of the Lord that was just bubbling up inside of me, and she was impacted by that. So don't put your eyes on the challenges, right, but put them on who he is rising up inside of you to overcome those challenges. Amen. Hallelujah. So last week, we reminded ourselves that God doesn't want a relationship based on the law. He never wanted that. He wants a relationship that's built upon his love for us. All right? 
So we looked at the tabernacle. Can we put the tabernacle back up there? We went into the Old Testament. We looked at the tabernacle as a foreshadowing of the finished work of Christ. Okay? And we saw, we saw the outer court. There were three sections of the tabernacle. Remember, we've got the outer court. We've got beyond the first veil, we've got the holy place. Now, in this diagram, show the, the, the diagram with all the tents around it there. There, you can see that the center tabernacle is covered, right? But in the diagram we're looking at, they take that covering off so you can see the other two sections. So go ahead back to the other one. So we've got the most, the holy place, and then there's a second veil, and it's the holy of holies or the, or the most holy place. In the outer court, we remember, that's where the, the place of sacrifice right? Everything's made of bronze there. Bronze is symbolic of the judgment of God. It's not a happy place, all right? It's where the judgment of God falls. It's the place of sacrifice and loss, okay? That signifies the cross, all right? The cross was not a happy place. Now, if you know what it was for and what was coming on the other side of that, it can bring a lot of joy. But the cross in itself was a place of God's judgment and wrath, which Jesus bore for us, okay? Now, in the outer court, symbolic of the cross, the, the, the uh, priests would make the sacrifice there, just like Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, and everything was made of bronze, but you couldn't see anything beyond the sacrifice in the outer court. And unfortunately, this was where most of the body of Christ has stayed, at the cross. And, and we remind ourselves regularly of what God did for us on the cross, but we don't stay there. We have to go beyond it because we know that the cross was not the reason Jesus came. <gasps> what did he just say? The cross was not his goal. What was Jesus' goal? A new you, the resurrection. The cross was the means to the resurrection. But what religion has kind of has kind of missed that, and they put all the emphasis on the fact, the sacrifice, and the judgment, which is what often what people hear when they come to church is judgment. It shouldn't be that way. They should hear about the resurrection. Jesus came to defeat death. He didn't stay on the cross. His, he, his spirit left his body. He descended into hell. He was separated from God. He died spiritually, physically, in every way. The scriptures teach that. If he didn't die spiritually, we have no spiritual redemption. He was separated from God, right? This is an issue of contention in the body of Christ. It shouldn't be, right? He looked up on the cross and what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God forsake him? God did turn from him. What was Jesus doing? He became our sin, literally. I know that's sometimes hard to imagine. We're not, we're not um, being disrespectful. We're recognizing the sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin. That's the attitude of sin. My God, my God, you've forsaken me, right? Blaming God for things. No, God the Father put our sins on him, and God separ Jesus was separated from his Father. It's true whether you believe it or not. And that was part of our redemption. He descended into hell and for three days bore the full judgment and wrath of God for our sins. But he was just, wasn't he? They weren't his sins. And on the third day, God said, rise, right? He raised up his son. The Holy Spirit uh, came into hell and raised up Jesus Christ. And he came back from the dead. He appeared to his disciples for about 40 days, I think it was. And he ascended back unto the Father, right? So that's what happened at the cross. But in that outer court, you can't see the provision of the cross, the provision of the cross was beyond the first veil. And everything in there was made of gold. Not made of gold, covered in gold, excuse me. Covered in gold or made of. Most of it was covered, I believe. Covered in gold. So the judgment was out there, but the prosperity, the provision of the sacrifice was beyond the veil. And you couldn't see that if you stayed in the outer court. But only the priest could go beyond that veil, right? So the people out there, all they could see was the judgment. They couldn't see the provision. Beyond that veil was healing, 
prosperity, the fragrance of Christ, the Holy Spirit. So what has ended up happening in the body of Christ, and thank God for the body of Christ. We love the body of Christ. But those who have stayed in the outer court have become critical of those who've gone beyond the veil. Those who proclaim what's beyond the veil, the healing, the salvation, the Holy Spirit, the prosperity, because they can't see it there. They've stopped at the bronze, right? Listen, most of the conflicts, well, we're going to say every conflict, every doctrinal issue would be resolved if we went beyond the veil into the presence of God. It'd be the end of the conflicts. So that's why oftentimes you'll hear people criticizing messages like you're hearing because they're camped in the outer court. All they're seeing is judgment, the wrath of God, sacrifice. And here we are talking about prosperity and healing the Holy Spirit. And they're like, what is that? You know, we don't see that. I know. You got to go beyond the veil. Okay, the cross, the goal was to get us into the presence of God, to reunite us with God. That's what the cross was for, so that there'd be nothing between God and us anymore. And guess what? There's not. There's nothing between you and God anymore if you put your faith in Christ. The distance is canceled and wiped out. We've been reunited with God through faith. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. So let's move forward here. We're moving forward. right? Thank God for the cross. We, we remind ourselves regularly of what he bore for us on the cross. We've appropriated his sacrifice, and we move forward and received his provision, and we're living our daily life in the presence of God. That's what the, the holy of holy was, right? The place of his presence. So as New Testament believers now, right, that tabernacle is not standing anymore. And if someone built it again, it wouldn't mean anything other than what Christ did for us, right? In other words, there's no reason to go through that anymore. That was a foreshadowing of Christ. He did what he did. Now it's time to believe, okay? Now it's time to believe in what he's done. Now we've become the tabernacle. <laughs> We've become the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Let's take a look at that. It says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So we don't go to church anymore. We are the church. Hey! Right? We don't have to go anywhere to find God. He's living inside of us. We gather together regularly. We love coming together Sunday mornings, get togethers, because the presence of God is inside of us, and we worship him together, and there is a very important public corporate worship is a very important part of our relationship with him, right? But listen to this now. This is going to be so good. I want you to grab a hold of everything today. I really believe this is a, 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 an essential uh, word for 2017. It's about the grace of God. But when we say we are the temple of God, that's more than just our bodies. It's our entire lives. Yes, the Holy Spirit is now living inside of our body. But he wants to do more than just live inside of here. He wants his presence manifest everywhere we go. The word temple means reinforced. It means an open consecrated space. So because of our faith in Christ, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and in hell and in his resurrection and ascension, our lives have become this consecrated space that's open and reinforced by the Holy Spirit. Open to and reinforced by the Holy Spirit. Everywhere we go, the Holy Spirit is inside of us looking to manifest himself to anyone who's ready to receive it, right? So in 2017, I want to encourage you guys to begin to think of not just your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, but the whole area, the whole scope of your life as his territory, as the space that he occupies as the place that he manifests himself. So when I go to Lowe's, the Holy Spirit's in Lowe's. He's in the hardware section. He's in the plumbing section. Any section I go to, that's where he is, right? So our life is much more than our bodies, obviously, right? Your life is who God created you to be. 
Your life consists of the person that God designed you to be. Your life consists of the destiny he's called you to fulfill, right? Now, as we grow in our understanding of who God made us to be and the destiny he's called us to fulfill, we begin to make decisions in, in, along those lines because of those things. We begin to make decisions about how we spend our time, how we spend our resources and our energy, right? It begins to change what our life consists of because we're realizing, wait a minute, God designed me to do this. God has a destiny for me. So I begin to make decisions to help me move forward on the path that he's prepared for me. We begin to build the temple of God in our lives. Now, the moment we put our faith in Christ, and that's a moment, a process begins, a process of building. If you've been born again, and all that means is that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, there was a moment in your life, if you're born again, when you recognize that God sent his son Jesus for you and that Jesus rose from the dead for you, that he bore your sins and he rose from the dead, and, and you open up your mouth, no one made you do it, you did it of own free will, and you said, Jesus, I love you, be the Lord of my life. We've had a moment like that. I remember mine was back in the spring of 1989, right before my 20th birthday, and that was a moment when Christ entered my life. But a process began that's still going on. It is a realization of what God has done for me through Christ. That is something that is eternal, that's beyond what we'll even know in this lifetime. Okay? So we're on this, this realization. We're discovering more and more how good God is. You don't know the fullness of his goodness. I don't know the fullness of his goodness. We're learning. We're learning it more and more. But it's beyond what you've dreamed of or imagined. So we're on this, this discovery path of the goodness of God. We're realizing more and more how good he is. And we're realizing more and more what he's done for us in Christ. And we're realizing more and more who we are right now in Christ. That we're new creations. We're born of his spirit, that his love's been shed abroad in our hearts, that sin has nothing to do with us anymore. It's been defeated in our lives. We walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. We're new creations in him. All right? Now, Satan tries to block these realizations. He doesn't want you to know how good God is. He doesn't want you to know what God has done for you in Christ. He doesn't want you to know who you are in Christ, all right? So he'll try and discourage you, and one of the key ways he'll do it is through religion. Sorry, but it's true. It's one of his primary tools. He'll try and get you to um, live life in your own strength and wisdom. I mean, if God's going to love you, you better fix that. You better fix that. You better do this right. You better get that right. You better stop doing that. And all of a sudden, your life becomes this big do-it-yourself project. There's no DIY salvation in God's kingdom. There isn't. Right? He did it for us. Right? It's Jesus did it for yourself, salvation. What's the acronym for that one? Jesus did it for your GDFY. I don't know. There's GDFY salvation in heaven, right? Jesus did it for you. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And the reason I'm bringing this up, because we're going to see that the fulfillment we're experiencing this year and that's, that's manifesting in our lives is going to, to grow and be manifest by the grace of God. Yes. Not by us doing more or trying harder or getting more training but by simply believing in what he's already done for us, okay? So Ephesians chapter 2. This is going to seem too good to be true, but it is true, all right? We know this verse, for by what? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. We know that an acronym, right? It's a great definition of grace, G-R-A-C-E. For by God's riches at Christ's expense, by God's unmerited favor, you have been saved. 
through faith. Simple, childlike faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Right? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, if you have to pay for a gift, it's not a gift. Can you imagine Christmas morning? You're coming downstairs, the presents under the tree, and you open one, and your mom says, that'll be $75. Okay, great. You want to open another one? Well, how much does it cost? That's $130 right there. You want to open that one? Well, that one's only $45. How about that one? No, if you have to pay for it, it's not a gift. If you have to earn it, it's not a gift. It's not. A gift is something that someone else has chosen to give you just because. And you have no obligation to make them give you that gift. There are no strings attached. It's because they love you. And that's what God has done. He gave us the gift of his son because he loves us. All right? So I want you to begin to look at your relationship with God. Are you working for it? Do you find that your confidence in him changes when you make a mistake? These are signs that I need to uh, remind myself that this relationship is based on grace, not on my perfection and performance. All right? Stay with me. I know some people want to shut this message off because they think uh, that it's a message condoning error or mistakes or sin. We don't condone sin, but the grace of God is the answer to sin. It, it gives you the overcoming power to defeat sin in your life. Yes, it does. It's God's grace. You think you can defeat sin in your own strength? Woo-wee! That's what religion gets you to believe, whether you realize it or not. We can. It's through the grace of God that we walk in this salvation. All right. So, the fallen nature has a tendency to want to earn and take credit for salvation. Okay? But if you fall into this works under the law mentality, it will hinder you from fulfilling your destiny. There are people that applaud you because you did that right and you did, wow, you, you prayed for how long? Wow, you must be very spiritual. You did what? You go to church every week? Wow, that's great. But going to church every week and praying uh, for seven days doesn't save you. Doesn't. Now, it can, it, prayer and, and coming to church can help you grow in your intimacy with Christ if you're hearing the gospel of grace, right? So don't, I want to, we're, we're, we're not going to shift back into the works mentality, right? We're, we're, um, we're going to stay with the gospel. In other words, have you ever said this or heard someone say this? They're frustrated because something didn't happen in their lives, and they'll say, I don't understand that I prayed for this long, I fasted for this long, I did this, I did that. How could that happen? That is a sign that they have a works mentality. Where's their faith in what they've done? How long they've prayed, how many verses they've memorized, how they've done that, and that won't work. And it's a frustrating place to be in because you, you get frustrated and then you try and do more and it doesn't work and you get frustrated. And some people just quit and give up, say, I, I, this stuff doesn't work. No, it's faith in his grace. Oh, God help us. God help us to walk in your grace. It's faith in his grace that brings about the victory. Right? It's not our wisdom. It's not our strength. It's not our efforts. It's his wisdom, his strength, his effort. All right? This is not a small thing. Help us, Holy Spirit. Doctrines have been born from this works under the law mentality that have crippled millions and millions and millions of sincere believers all around the world that have hindered and crippled them from fulfilling their God-given destiny. 
have given them a different focus in life, where their life has become trying harder to please God, trying harder to get these things done. For this, this, these doctrines of works have, have crippled generation after generation after generation, but not here. Look at, look, look at what God has to say about this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. This is a, this is a big deal. Right? To realize that God is the strength of our lives, that apart from Him we can do nothing, but through Him we can do all things. That's humility, right? Chapter 3, verse 1, now this is a Paul speaking, but the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. Look what he says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What have they done? Are they rooting for the Jets or something? What's going on here? Well, let's see. What is so bad that he uses such strong language? They were putting their faith in their religious acts. They were putting their faith in their own works. Specifically here, if you read, we'll read some more verses. He's talking about circumcision. They were teaching people they needed to be circumcised to be in God's kingdom, to be saved. All right? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Here's a great question. Did you receive the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God, by observing the law, by doing everything perfect, or by believing in what you heard, by faith? What's the right answer to that question? By believing, by faith, right? God didn't come into our lives because we were so perfect. Hello, right? He came into our lives because he loves us, and Jesus was perfect for us. Verse 3, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Oh, boy. I've got a new checklist in 2017. You know what's on it? One thing, faith. Used to have a lot of things on that. But in 2017, faith. I believe in what he's done for me. Or because you believe what you heard. What's the right answer? Believing, right? Faith. Consider Abraham. That's our father in the faith, right? How long did Abraham live before the law? 400 some years. He did not operate under the law. It wasn't given yet. People want to argue this. It's clear in the scriptures. Paul said it. We see it in the genealogy of man. He was 400 some years before the law was given. Consider Abraham. He believed God. That's all he had was a word from God. He didn't have an institution. He didn't have a nation. He had a simple word from the maker of heaven and earth. And he believed it. And he's the father of our faith. Okay? He believed God and it was credited to him, credited to him as what? Wow. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Now chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Stand fast therefore, because righteousness is by faith, not by works, not by the law. Stand fast therefore in the liberty, the freedom, by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So what is bondage? Right? Faith in the law instead of faith in Christ. Trying to please God through my own efforts and, 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 and believing that my relationship with God is based on my performance is bondage. What is liberty? Faith in what he's done for me. This is a frightening way for, for, for some to live who've been entangled for so long. Because there are no rules. I can do whatever I want to today. What do I want to do? Please him. 
My wife does not chain me to the living room each day to make sure I don't go out and cheat on her. I can do whatever I want to in my marriage. I will love her for the rest of my life. I'll be faithful to her because I love her. No chains needed. Right? Love is the power. Love is the power to keep you on track. It's infinitely greater than any system or man-made doctrine or any, any type of structure to try and keep you on track. Nothing can keep you on the path that God has for you like His love for you. Nothing will keep you faithful like His love for you. We've never, what Jennifer just said yesterday, she said, in my life I've probably heard, I don't know, I, I could probably count on my hand the number of messages I've heard on relationships and marriage. Because when love is reigning in your life, you don't need a teacher. Isn't, doesn't the scripture say that, right? The law was our schoolmaster until Christ, right? But now he's living inside of us. He's our teacher. Are you, are you, is this registering, Right? There's a freedom and a liberty of Christ. I'm not living a bunch of regulations and rules anymore. Man, I'm free. Hey, I'm free. I can run when I want to run. I can dance when I want to dance. I can sing when I want to sing. I can shout when I want to shout because of Jesus. Woo! Yeah. We're free. Hallelujah. God is so good. It's a glorious liberty. Now, I don't want to miss anything here. So we're saved by grace, and we live by faith in that grace. It's just that simple. So our minds are on it regularly. God's riches at Christ's expense, his unmerited favor. He loved me first. He gave his son for me. He's working all things out for my good. Hallelujah. Now, we're getting to the good part. Are you ready? God's plans are bigger and better than you've imagined for your life. Are you willing to believe that? God has prepared good things for you that are better than what anyone else could ever do for you. He's prepared good works for us to accomplish good things for us to do. He's prepared a path for us to walk on. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. Dana, is this still your favorite verse? Where's Dana at? Oh, she's in the back. You remember Ephesians 2, 10, Dana? She used to say it was her favorite. We'll see. We used to say this together. All right, we do it in the Amplified too. Are you ready? For we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship, recreated, it's already done, in Christ Jesus. This was her favorite part. Born anew that we may do, I think because it rhymed. <laughs> Born anew that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us. Wow. Taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. See, when I, well, I remember when I was a kid, I had cousins from California come visit us, and we, we lived in western Pennsylvania, and there was woods behind my grandpa's house, and my cousin said, let's go trailblazing. And that meant let's go blaze a trail through the woods. So I said, okay. So I remember, I think I had jeans on at the time, but we tried to go through these woods, and there was no path there. And there were a bunch of thorns that ripped our pants, and we tried to, you know, just tear on through it, and we, our legs got cut up because there was no path there, right? But when there's a path there, there are no thorns there. There's a path prepared for you. In the Bible, thorns are symbolic of the curse, right? That's why a crown of thorns was put on Jesus' head. He bore the curse for you. The path that he's prepared for you is a good path. That doesn't mean the, en the enemy's not going to try and challenge you and put thorns in your way, but you kick them out of the way through faith in the provision of God for your life, right? It's taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the what kind of life? The frustrating, discouraged, defeated life? The good. Why does God talk about good so much? Because that's who he is. 
I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. The good life, which he, he did this. We didn't ask him to. He prearranged it before you were born. He prearranged and made ready for you to live it. Hallelujah. God is so good. Okay, here we go. This is what I want to get to. This is so good. Okay. Now, in the temple of our lives... Chances are there's some unfinished stuff, right? Maybe some stuff that's frustrating to us in the scope of our lives. Maybe some stuff that hasn't happened for years. Maybe some stuff that makes you feel like quitting and giving up on the stuff that hasn't happened for years. Those areas are going to be fulfilled by his grace. And God is so good to us, he gives us examples of this in the scriptures, of his grace in operation. Now we said G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, God's unmerited favor, and those are great definitions of grace. I want to share this one with you if you haven't heard it before. The grace of God is the operational power of God. God's power in operation. Let's read Ephesians 2.8 now, understanding this definition of grace. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace... God's operational power, you have been saved. The grace of God is God's, God's, not yours, God's, God's operational power and action. The grace of God is the resurrection power of God manifest in your life. The grace of God is the make all things new power of God showing up in your life. The grace of God is the manifested goodness of God in your daily life. So this is what we're going to do. We're not going to try harder, right, in 2017. That doesn't mean we don't make any changes. There might, there, we, need, we need to adjust and change, to, and change as the Holy Spirit leads us, but we're not doing it in our own strength. We're resting and rejoicing in what he's already done for us. Matthew 11, chapter 28. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here, then we're going to get to the... To the, the, the Example that I want to share with you that I believe is going to propel you forward into the fulfillment of God's plan. Matthew chapter 11. This is us for 2017, okay? I'm going to give you, give you our MO, all right, our method of operation. Verse 28 says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Check, check, check. If you've been in religion, it'll wear you out, right? I know, I've been there. Come to me. So he's different than religion, he's saying, right? boy. Uh-oh, cat's out of the bag, right? Jesus is a living, breathing, perfect, holy God, right? He's life eternal. He's pure light, and religion isn't. Sorry, okay? Jesus is. He came to bring us into relationship, all right? Understand what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not poo-poo, on, on organization and getting together, we need to assemble. God's body, we are the church in the earth. Yeah. And we need to organize. We need to have ministries in place. We need to gather corporately. Okay? But we do it all by faith in His grace. And we let Him lead and guide us. Not the latest um, paradigm. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Jesus, go. He's just doing stuff in me, I'll tell you what. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Well, if there's a real rest, there's a fake rest, isn't there? Right? Jesus is going to personally teach us in 27 how to take a real rest. Much better than going on a cruise. What is the real rest he's talking about? Faith in what he's done for us. Living by faith in his grace. That is a rest that will refresh you like nothing else. Living life through simple faith in his grace. Letting God be the strength of your life. Walking on the path that he's prepared for you will not wear you out. It will invigorate you. Wow. 
Walk with me. I like this. We're almost to our paradigm. You ready? Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. He wants all of our attention on him. Not on religion. On him. All right? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's our, that's our MO for 2017. We're living life in the unforced rhythms of his grace. I learned a phrase from Mariah, my daughter taught me. Sometimes something's going on, she said, Dad, that's a force. In other words, like, that's a force. You're trying to make that happen, right? You're trying too hard, right? Well, we don't want to be a force like that. We don't want to, we don't want to try and do this in our own strength. So don't be a force. Use the force. No, that's Star Wars. Never mind. <laughs> that was a force. <laughs> Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Don't be afraid. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Easy like a Sunday morning. Right? I got to listen to that song. I go. <laughs> Keep playing that at the end of service. Pull that up. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Ah, that's me. How about you? Just call me free and light. <laughs> it's a new kind of life that Christ came to give us. Hallelujah. It's the grace of God overflowing in our lives. And people are going to see it. They're, know, they're going to know it's got to be God. It's got to be God. You, we can't, this is beyond what man can do. Romans 5.17 said this. For if by the transgression of the one. See, this is what Jesus made this new life possible. He ushered in a whole new way of living for mankind. It's the life God wanted all, all along, but man's stiff-necked, hard-hearted uh, uh, hearts. <laughs> separated themselves from God. But God did something through Christ. If by the transgression of the one, that was Adam, right? Death reigned through Adam. Bad news. Bad, bad, bad. Right? Much more those who receive the abundance of what? Grace. So we've got to talk about grace. We have to. If we, want the, if we want to do what Jesus called us to do, we've got we've to be very uh, sure and certain of his grace because he's given us the abundance. So those who do two things receive the abundance of his grace and of the gift. How much did it cost? $75? We don't pay for it. He paid for it, right? The gift, the, the price of his son, he paid for it and he gave it to us as a gift, his righteousness. Will What? Reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Reign over who? Reign over what? Satan and darkness is under your feet if you'll just receive the abundance of his grace and the gift of his righteousness. Satan doesn't, he's not above you. He doesn't have anything on you anymore. You can say like Jesus, Satan has nothing in me. Why? Because you've become his righteousness. Amen. Satan has nothing in me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Religion can't go here. Religion's stuck in that gate looking at the sacrifice. We've got to come into the presence and say, Jesus is my righteousness. I boldly come into the presence of the throne of God any time, day or night, and I receive what I need because he's my father. Grace. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 3, verse 5. This is the life that Jesus has made for us. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. That's what Jesus did when he bore the wrath of God's judgment. Every valley was filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places were made straight. The rough ways were made smooth. Anything that could keep you from an intimate, powerful, life-changing relationship with God the Father was removed and we're smooth now. Call me smooth, light, and free. Right? Was that a force? Okay, that was a force. 
All right. <laughs> so the enemy wants to try and keep you from being smooth. <laughs> he does. He wants to try, try and put obstacles in this smooth path that God has laid out for you. And boy, religion will help him, right? He wants you to start living life. So, so now listen, we face challenges. We're living in a fallen world. Okay, there, there are some, some horrible things happening on planetable earth, unspeakable things, right? And this is not our home, but we're here now and we have a mission. So we're not ignoring everything. We're just focusing on who he is and what he's done for us and realizing that his grace is the answer to the problems of the world. It is, not our religious systems, all right? Okay, we're finally there. Are you ready now? So God is so good. He gives us examples of his grace in his word. We're going to look at one in the Old Testament. We're going to look at old Zerubbabel. Anybody know Zerubbabel? Can you say Zerubbabel? <laughs> That's pretty good. Zerubbabel was a descendant of David. He was in the lineage of the Messiah. And he's one of three people in the Old Testament that is prophetically addressed as the Messiah. There are three, David, Solomon, and Zerubbabel. They're all kind of types of Christ. So what do I mean by that? They're not the Messiah, but in other words, their role, there are portions of their lives where we can see a foreshadowing of who Christ is and what he would do for us, okay? Let me give you an example of David. Okay, David, here's a verse, Ezekiel 34, 23. Now in David, we, we see, all, in fact, in Matthew chapter 1, it says Jesus Christ was the son of David, the son of Abraham. David plays a significant role in our salvation in that regard, okay? We see a childlike faith in David. We see the grace of God in David's life. We see the victory that Christ uh, won for us when, through David and Goliath, right? So this is, now this is God talking, but look at, um, he's speaking to David, but we're going to see in this that he's prophesying of Jesus. And I will raise up over them one shepherd. David was a shepherd, right? In fact, he wasn't even in the house when the prophet came to, to anoint him, he was out in the fields with the sheep, right? I will raise up over them one shepherd, but Jesus is the good shepherd. You see the parallels here? And he shall feed them, even my servant David. Is he talking about David there? Really, he's talking about Jesus. You see that? The Bible does things like this. These are, these are foreshadowings of the Messiah, okay? Even my servant David, he shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. God is not afraid or ashamed to be associated with you. You're his child. And when he talks, he's going to talk about you favorably. All right? The next one, Solomon. We're just going to look at one verse of these. Let's look at Solomon. Now, we see a lot of parallels uh, between God the Father and God the Son and David and his son, Solomon. Okay? Solomon is the one who built the temple. All right? Um, let's see. Yes, yeah, so we got up there. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. He shall build a house for my name. All right, this is what Jesus did. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Is Solomon still king? No. He's talking about Jesus. All right, you understand that? Okay. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Okay, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. That's what Jesus was chasing on the cross, okay? Let's look at Zerubbabel now. Here it is. We're coming to a close. Get your seatbelts on. Here we go. Zerubbabel in Haggai chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. This prophet says, I speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. He was a leader of Judah. He was the head of Judah. He was appointed so by Cyrus, king of Persia. And what does Judah mean? Praise of God. What, what tribe does Jesus come from? Judah, Zerubbabel, head of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. This did not happen in Zerubbabel's day. This was prophetic. I will overshadow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant. He's talking about Jesus now. 
the son of Sheatiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring. That's a king. That's a symbol of a king. Zerubbabel never became king of Judah. He was just governor of Judah. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pull this all together. We're not going to read it all. We use one more scripture, but I'm just going to share it with you. You can read it yourself. But Zerubbabel was born in captivity. God's people were taken captive and in captivity in Babylon. And Zerubbabel was born there. Okay? But God had a calling on Zerubbabel's life to return to Israel, to return to Jerusalem and do what? Do you know? Rebuild the temple. The temple was destroyed and a mess. The same call was upon Jesus to come to earth and rebuild the temple, rebuild the broken, destroyed lives of humanity. The temple of man was destroyed in the garden through Adam's sin. Jesus came to make us new and to rebuild us. All right? So Zerubbabel had this call on his life, and he was actually freed by King Cyrus for this purpose. And he actually led exiles back from captivity into Jerusalem. He was appointed as governor by the king to rebuild this temple. Big deal. Very significant calling in this time. All right? So they come back to Jerusalem. It must have been a sight. The temple that they cherished for generations was just rubble and a mess. This was about 535 B.C. So with great excitement, with great ceremony and celebration, they began the work of clearing away the mess and the rubble and building the temple. And in 14 months, all the mess was cleared away and the foundation of the temple was laid. Wow. And it was a very exciting time, but then something happened. The enemy moved in. And people began to mock them, began to criticize what they were doing make fun of them, accuse them, slander them. CNN was there, right? The media was there slamming them for what they're doing, right? And the actual work on the temple stopped for seven years. That's a long time. They came there. They were successful for 14 months. Then all of a sudden, someone said, they deflated the air in the footballs. <laughs> or whatever. Someone accused them of something, right? <laughs> oh, we like to have fun, don't we? Someone accuses them of something. Then someone else listens. Oh, they did. Oh, what? And all of a sudden, and now they're looked at as, as villains, right? Or well, what are they doing? And all of a sudden, this political pressure begins to mount. And now God's people, some of God's people start listening to it, right? And all of a sudden, the work starts getting slower. Seven years go by, and all that's done, the foundation was laid. Guess what? And all, now also during this time, they were building homes for themselves, which was good. So there's a lot going on other than this building the temple, but this, this opposition has risen. These hindrances have come about. Delays have come about. And not only after that seven years, they went another eight years of dormancy, of stagnation. That's, that's about 15, 16 years. You imagine Zerubbabel might have felt pretty discouraged at that point. God called me. We came here 14 months. Man, we, had, we laid a foundation. And then two years go by. Three years. Four years. Five years. Six years. Seven years. Eight years. Nine years. The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. Suffering. Gave everything she had to be well and nothing worked. The man was lame for 38 years. Has it been too long for you? No. Christ has come. And your day is here. No matter how long it's been, today's your day. Now is your time. And what's going to make it happen? Grace. And listen, so in the midst of this long defeat, I don't know, who knows how Zerubbabel might have been feeling. Maybe he was ready to quit. 
Right? Sure, that would be natural. Defeated, discouraged. Maybe some of God's people went back. Said it was better for us in Babylon. I don't know. But then something happened that absolutely changed his life. Do you know what it was? A word from God. The prophet Zechariah came and gave this word to Zerubbabel. And this is the word for us this morning. Are you ready? Haggai chapter 2. Excuse me, Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, your strength. Not by power, man's power. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you? Obstacles and political pressure, accusers and mockers, O great mountain. Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of what? Grace, grace to it. The prophet came to Zerubbabel and said, Shout grace to your problems, grace to the unfinished areas of your life. Grace to the defeated areas of your life. Grace to the discouragement that you're facing. Grace, grace to it. It's God's power available and operating in your life. And this lit a fire inside of Zerubbabel. And he went back to work. And in five years, it was finished. So they started in 535 B.C. And I believe it was in Darius's reign when they finished in 515 B.C. First 14 months went great. For, they had a big problem for about 16 years. And then they got their stuff together and they came back and finished the temple because of the word of the Lord, because of the grace of God. So why is that important? What are the unfinished, frustrating, disappointed, defeated areas of your life? Shout grace to it. Shout grace to it. I am healed because of the grace of God. If there's a, an issue you've been dealing with in your physical body and you haven't experienced the healing that you know belongs to you, shout grace to it. Every time you think of it and the devil says it's been so long, You're not, you, you must, it's just been so long, maybe it's not God's will for you. Grace! Grace! Grace to it. Grace to my body. Grace to my mind. Grace to my soul. Grace to my life. Grace to my marriage. Grace to my family. Grace to my home. Grace to my job. Grace to my future. Grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Grace. This is what we're going to do. I want you to think of it un some, the unfulfilled areas of your life, the unfinished areas. And on the count of three, we're going to shout grace to it. All right? And this is what's going to happen in 2017. The grace of God is manifesting in our lives and fulfilling the areas of our lives that are unfulfilled, finishing in the areas that need finished, doing the things that need to be done all by His grace. Yes. Hallelujah. You, you got them? Yes. You thinking of them? Yeah. All right? You, got, you see them? Unfinished, frustrating areas. On three, we're going to shout grace. Ready? One, two, three. Grace! One, two, three. Grace! One, two, three. Grace! Hallelujah! Thank you, God, for your grace in every area of our lives. It's your grace that has healed us. It's your grace that has set us free, that has made the crooked places straight, the rough ways smooth. It's your grace that has leveled the mountains and filled the valleys. It's your grace. It's your grace. It's your grace. And it's all over us. It's all over us. And we thank you for the abundance of your grace and the gift of your righteousness. Hallelujah. Grace over every life. Grace over every relationship. Grace over every body. Grace over every home. Grace over every family. Grace over every, every destiny and every calling. Grace over every God-given path. In Jesus' name, grace. 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 Shout grace to it. Hallelujah. Amen. Woo! 
At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.